Let's do it. It is Gaz on the go. All the sports talk you need from this past week, all the headlines you need in a quick 40 minutes, most of the time, a little less than 40 minutes, seven, eight topics, less than 40 minutes. Before we get into the sports talk, we tell you about the people that make the show possible, Godzilla Media possible. If you enjoy our shows, our podcasts, everything else, the best thing you can do is go out and support the people like John Stone Supply in Troy. Shout out to our guy, George Mann, from day one has been with us supporting us wanting to be a part of the future of the media in upstate new york and they're the people that can help you whether it's your ac units your supplies your summer projects your tools your furnaces your boilers all that stuff that's important to your home and the things that are around your home johnstone supply and troy can help you those competitive prices in store make the drive to sixth avenue and troy so you can take care of yourself and make sure you're paying the right price and if you want to stay cool all summer long and Maybe you've waited a little too long to do it. Don't worry. Johnstone Supply and Troy can help you. 518-272-5922. Save this in your phone. AC place. Tool place. Summer project. You can take it out right now. 518-272-5922. 518-272-5922. Or check them out on Facebook. Johnstone Supply NY. Shout out to everybody over there. Always helping us out. Whatever you need, they're going to take care of you. It's Johnstone Supply in Troy. All right, let's get into the sports talk for the week. These are the moments where I really wished I had a big, booming radio voice, like a West Durham for the Atlanta Falcons, a Drew Hoffner out in San Francisco, even like Flounder you've heard before, those pipes. Will Arnett, you do like the movie opening. It all comes down to this. Like This is just a, such a terrible week attempt to do it in promotion for the NAL championship on Saturday night, the National Arena League championship the Albany Empire hosts the Carolina Cobras. I want to give a little salute, a shout out to our guy, Ryan McCarthy. Make sure to download no credentials required. Always does a great job with his local coverage. He had a stat that he mentioned on Tuesday's coaches show hosted by my guy, Jeff LeVac, and of course, the head coach of the Empire, Tom Manas, that if Albany wins on Saturday, it's the first time for a professional sports team in the capital region that a team has gone back to back with championships. Think about that for a second, not just for the capital region. But for upstate New York, all of a sudden I start to wonder, like, the Sabres have never done that. Sorry, Bills fans, you guys have never done that. Syracuse Athletics, they've never done that. I know it's the college level, so we'll back off those types of comparisons. But Bills, Sabres, Syracuse Storm, like, Utica Blue Sox. Then you start struggling, like, who are the Watertown Rams? Who are these teams from upstate New York who have gone back-to-back? Now, you get downstate. Don't want to do that post right now, but let's just say like the city, right? The Yankees, we get that. The Giants didn't go back to back, but you can find situations. The Islanders, of course, where New York sports teams have done. But think about the history that can be made here. Professional sports teams in upstate New York to win a back-to-back championship in indoor football. What I consider to be the highest level of indoor football in the United States of America. A franchise and players that have tradition and prestige. And you can look back and say... Oh, yeah. I remember that guy from college. I remember what he's done in his pro career. That's what the Albany Empire can do on Saturday is to make history, not just for the capital region, but all of upstate New York to win back-to-back championships as a professional franchise. That stuff matters. That's a big deal. Brandon Cisse, who was spotlighted on CBS 6 Sports, can have the, the only bragging right of being a three-time professional sports champion. Again, not just in Albany, but all of upstate New York. That's what the Saturday night game means. And Mike Corda, the owner of the Albany Empire, has been committed to keep this local. Jeff LeVac, born and raised South Colony, 
Coach Minas and Coach Damon Ware, the offensive coordinator, have already been re-upped for 2023. It is commitment for Albany. I'm not even going to touch the low-hanging fruit because you know how much it pisses me off when we talk about other stuff. So that's going to get passed on right by. But that's what this could potentially mean. Let's talk about the matchup itself, though. Carolina, if you haven't been following the NAL, should have been, sorry, Empire fans, the top seed. Think about this. The second seed, the team that is the visiting team, beat the Albany Empire not once, not twice, but three times. Now, we can go through those games and talk about the controversial calls and the decisions and the whistleblowing and everything else, but it's three times. It's not 1-1. One one, it's not 2-1. It's only three Albany's record against Carolina. So the Cobras have proven that they're the top team, but because of the tough stretch at the end of the season, Albany is able to take advantage and clinch home field. So it's in home turf advantage. What's the difference in this game? The play of Sam Castronova has continued to improve week after week. Darius Prince in the matchup on the outside. Can anybody stop him? It's Carolina, the same team that might have peaked in June and July. Albany is in position to win another championship, but it is going to be a tough matchup. The key in this game, turnovers, turnovers, and turnovers. Because so many teams are so effective in the first half, you flip it to the 2021 National Arena League Championship. The Columbus Lions, five plays, five touchdowns on offense. Albany, needless to say, struggling to slow down Columbus. If someone can get that turnover in the second half with the Empire dominated, you're playing possession versus possession, and the team who has that ball last, as we know in indoor football, has the best advantage. Key example in the semifinal matchup, Jacksonville doesn't botch it, and Marco Roscoe doesn't hit that deuce. Could be a whole different end of that ball game. Saturday night, MVP Arena, Albany cannot just make history for the city itself, the Empire franchise itself, but for upstate New York. Wherever you're listening, think about making that drive to MVP Arena. Watch it indoor football in a championship, potentially won for a team that plays inside the Capital Region's home for indoor football. Maybe a fourth banner. It's the Raptors later on. When you talk about sports podcasts, one of the interesting parts about this medium is that there's a little bit less hate. Not criticism. Criticism's fine because you can argue with somebody. I just talked to our guy Joe from Football in the Know about whether or not wide receivers Hall of Fame says. That's fine. Levac and I still do it all the time. That's okay to argue about and have differencing of opinions. But when it comes to actually people like leaving you negative comments and ripping you apart, podcasts is far more gentle than radio because you have so many more options. What's the old famous quote from Private Parts about Howard Stern's rating that people just listen to Howard Stern because they want to see what he's going to say next? And a lot of people hate listened to Stern. Not the same case anymore. I bring that up because it's been a minute since like I faced some real heat from people online about a sports take. And I got to admit it. I think I kind of liked it. I missed it a little bit. Hello. Welcome back. And I'm talking about the take I had involving Ian Anderson. For those who don't know, the former number three overall pick in the 2016 Major League Baseball draft wins the World Series last year for the Atlanta Braves. Now, how I phrase it, I guess I got to pause it right there. People don't like how I didn't explain how he helped Atlanta win the World Series. This if I didn't complete the story. He started games. He was on the team. He pitched. So already the heat came that like you had to single-handedly help your team like it's a, a basketball situation at times or Madison Bumgarner against the Royals years ago. Okay, that's not really where the heat came from. The heat came that I wrote a story that Anderson, at 24 years old, had been optioned to AAA Gwinnett. Oh, wow, you don't know anything about baseball. You know, the Braves are just, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
Like, I can't fit a hundred words into a paragraph that's teasing the article. So people started coming at me. You know what? That's okay. It's fine. I get why. Because it goes to a whole wide thing about the protection of a local athlete. People were pissed off that we even mentioned that Anderson got demoted to triple. It happened. I think we're under the assumption that once someone gets demoted, it's the end of their career and they'll never play again. If you live out in central New York and you're from Syracuse and you hear somebody that plays for the G League or the D League or the Gatorade League, whatever the hell they're going to call it again soon. Oh, he sucks. He's the bust. I know people just wait for those comments now. I know Chris Carlson wants to retweet it. I know Mike McAllister, who covers more recruiting than anything, who just wants to know, oh, you don't know it. Like, it's such an easy thing to argue about that, hey, you're still getting paid, and this is how it goes, man. Like, this is professional sports. The same goes for baseball. The reason I even said he was a 24-year-old is because it's far more expected for younger pitchers to have these rehab starts. Atlanta still has Anderson under control for years to come. He's not going to hit the waivers, and someone's going to claim him. So this is the best option. Atlanta is in a divisional chase, and they're trying to go for back-to-back World Series championships. How do you fix a young pitcher? What do you do? You're supposed to put on the IL? Supposed to send him to Florida? There's a cool option in baseball. I say cool because it's good for the fans to see a young prospect play. That you can use this for the advantage of the big league club. Send them down. Work on pitches. Work with a different coach. Work on a different setting. What do you have in strengths? What do you not? Those are all great things. He, Ian Anderson, can look back at his career and say, remember back in August of 2022 where they sent me down to Gwinnett and I got pissed off like anybody else would. And I fixed things. And I got better. The dude's pitched in his last six starts. I know he got the win against New York. I know he went scoreless against Arizona. But he had a balloon DRA over six. On the season, he's over five. It's not a personal attack on Ian Anderson. But we just cannot look at it with such capital region shaded glasses. Same for Bills fans. If there's a Buffalo athlete who maybe has success locally, he's going to miss a shot. God forbid. We had a fun conversation about Gerard and Fredette. I swear to God, they're going to miss shots. So it's fine to defend your guy. You don't have to blast him or do anything else, but you also have to be rational and reasonable that if he's playing like shit, you got to call it out. If he has a bad game, you got to call it out. You still have to have people respect your opinions and care about it because when you're so biased in one way for an athlete, and I really truly believe this, if you have a favorite team, you sometimes are more critical of that team than any other team because you watch them so often and the weaknesses for them are right in your face. So that's okay if you're a little bit more critical of your favorite team as long as you still enjoy them. Some fan bases don't know how to handle that last comment, but look, I'm not ripping apart Ian Anderson. It's better for his future. I thought more people would understand that. I guess that's not the case. I missed it. I missed getting ripped apart. It was fun. Great job by Pete Thamel of ESPN for the report he has about Dino Babers and Syracuse's contract. This should be a huge deal. I don't know if it's just like a Wednesday in August that it's not getting as much traction. I saw some of the social media feedback and it's pretty low. I don't, I'm very confused by this is not one of the biggest stories in the central New York area of this entire summer. If you may have missed it. Pete Thamel's reporting that Syracuse University would owe Dino Babers $10 million if the Orange Athletic Association, why do I call it that? How much is Syracuse University? There we go. I'm getting used to already those like NAL collectives, right? Uh, if Syracuse decided to fire Babers. Now, that's a huge deal because that is the first time because they're a private university that somebody has reported what that number would be. They don't have to Syracuse disclose what that number would be. They don't have to. Now, someone's probably wondering, how the hell does Pete Thamel know? Well, Pete Thamel's 
come up, we'll say, I like that term, was in Syracuse. He worked at the Post Standard under Bud Poliquin. I'm Bud Poliquin. I'm Bud Poliquin. Sounds like Josh Murray, man. JP Murray 15 on Twitter. He'll get that in reference. The legendary sports writer, Bud Poliquin. And Thamel was a college basketball kind of start, but working his way through to this thing. Yahoo. Long story short, he's got connections. He figured it out. He had the source. He got it. Good for him. That's why he's one of the top guys in his field. But that is a huge storyline. Because what if Syracuse goes 4-8 and eight against this season? What if Syracuse is just below 500? There is no way. As much as a Dino Babers fan as I am, well, at least was, and wanted him to see Syracuse do well, and the things that he does in the locker room, the viral clips, all that stuff, we, like you cannot deny the win and loss record. Dino Babers has posted a losing record the past three seasons. He's been the head coach for Syracuse for six seasons. Five of those six have been losing seasons. Now the one season he had a winning record was that year where they got double-digit victories. They won at the Camping World Bowl down in Orlando. I was at that game. It was awesome. It was a great moment for Syracuse football. Eric Dungy. Remember, a few things go the right way for that Orange team that season. They could have potentially been in the Orange Bowl, at least in the ACC title game. But also remember, it's important that those balls also could have bounced the other way in some of those games. They could have been 6-6 six and six in the pinstripe bowl or, again, a losing season every time he's there. So Dino Babers, $10 million if they can him. We've already beat up the pay Dino people before, and that was like the hot thing. Like, you better not let Babers leave. Pay him whatever he wants. I don't even know if those people were wrong. I probably was one of them. I wasn't as loud as those other ones, but it, hey, a coach is winning. Make sure he doesn't leave the end. Like, that's it's a pretty easy tank for the second time on this podcast. But now you've got to lay in the bin that you've made because Syracuse hasn't been good enough. Are they going to benefit maybe from a change in the ACC and change in the sense of who's the top dog or cat? If you want to talk about the Clemson Tigers, can Syracuse still recruit? They've pumped out some NFL guys. You know, they're not putting it out at the SEC level, but NFL guys are still coming from Syracuse, not first rounders, but people are showing up to play. But as a Syracuse fan, as a Syracuse ticket holder and someone who goes to the tailgates, who supports the team, all that stuff. I wouldn't be happy with five and seven. Like, is six and six the line? Like, oh, wow, we're going back to the pinstripe bowl. Baber stings another. That, that's not good. I, like, I feel it hurts to even say that out loud. Like, wow, if they get to six and six, I'll be thrilled that a coach in seven seasons as the head coach only has one winning season because six and six going to that bowl game would not technically be a winning season. So I bring all this up because what is Syracuse supposed to do? The athletic director, John Wildex, got on record saying Baber's not on the hot seat. So if he's not on the hot seat, they're not going to can him. But also, was he supposed to say he's on the hot seat? Maybe it's just a flat-out lie. How loud would the Syracuse fans get if they stink again? They get blown out again? There's questions at wide receiver. And I mean questions like, who the hell are the wide receivers? It's more sad about hearing that story today. Because I want Syracuse football to win so bad. I know fans in Central New York and Upstate New York when I see Syracuse back to bowl game after bowl game, or at least in contention and in something to talk about and get excited about going to the Carrier Dome. And I know the ACC, and there's where I have to stop. I was going to say, I know the ACC is tough competition, but teams like Wake Forest have won. Pitt won the conference last year. NC State's a top 15 team likely in the AP poll coming later this month. North Carolina's not a predominant football school but they've won duke's been to an acc title game before virginia was a few wins away like the acc excuse isn't good enough because other schools are finding out ways to do it finding out ways to win it's actually one of the most parity filled conferences 
in college football. And by the way, 8-18 eight and 18 is the record of the ACC against other Power 5 schools last season. So it's not impossible to win like other conferences. Dino Babers, 10 million, two and 10, three and nine. Is that the cost Syracuse would pay to fire him? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Can I report myself to freezing cold takes? Just like drop some of these past podcast takes about the HBO show Hard Knocks and send it over. Shout out to Paul Camerata. Shout out to people who are on that. Paul Camerata is a Giller Lynn guy. But since that Raiders season, I've kind of been hating on Hard Knocks. Since that double season in COVID with the Rams and the Chargers, just didn't feel like people needed to watch it. And I swear to God, I won't even look it up. It's not going to kill me, but I'll take the L and you can tweet at me later at Tom Goss, T-O-M-G-O-Z-Z. I'm struggling to even remember the team that was on Hard Knocks last year. Like the 2021 version of the show. I know it's not the Raiders. Was it the Rams again? Uh, Honestly, I don't even remember who was on the show last year. That's how much I did not watch Hard Knocks. But now I flipped it on for the Detroit Lions to check out what Dan Campbell can do and what it's going to be like, and it is awesome. Episode 1 should be considered one of the greatest episodes in the history of that HBO show for 20-plus seasons. Now, I'm not going to give all spoilers away because people might want to watch it, but I want to focus more on the Lions and what football fans want when we talk about media consumption. Look, we had beaten that storyline to death, and it might still come back of guy 85 on the roster trying to make the team or guy 53 on the roster trying to make the team. We got that storyline. But what football fans really like is the name brands, the excitement, the pump-up speeches, the big hits, the big tackles, the big personalities. Hard Knocks gave us all that in episode one. And that's the branding football one. See, I remember when I was growing up as a kid, and likely you do as well, when we had like the jacked-up segments. And people get absolutely laid out. You had the hit stick and Madden, the big hit in football. That was great. But when it comes to the branding and marketing and what people see as the cool thing in football, is that still what somebody who's 15 thinks of football? Do they think of Mahomes throwing the ball behind his back? Do they think of Justin Jefferson or Stephon Diggs making huge catches in the end zone? Is it kick returns and punt returns? Christian McCaffrey making plays like he can. It just feels different like what football is. And I feel as if Hard Knocks brought us back to a little old school, right? To a football fan who might appreciate a full padded practice. A six foot five defensive end coming off the edge and causing pressure. Coaches like Deuce Staley and names like Aaron Glenn and Mark Brunel talking smack. Like that's the football I remember. And it brought me back to that a little bit. Now, can that work in 2022? How much will it have an effect on the lines? And will we still continue to see that pace throughout the entire training camp episodes of Hard Knocks on this season? Those are all great questions. But if you have not watched Hard Knocks like me for a while, you've fallen away from the show because I think I'm going to sit right here for a second. I don't think I offered up why I criticized Hard Knocks. I criticized Hard Knocks because content wasn't good and other teams can do it. Like technology caught up. If you want to do your own version of Hard Knocks, you got Jets Flight for the New York show. There's a behind-the-scenes show coming for the Giants about Daniel Jones. Like, technology is caught Anybody can do it. you got a good enough social media staff and a good enough production. You can do what Hard Knocks does. And I think Hard Knocks even realized that and said, okay, you guys think you can do it as well as we can, huh? We'll show you what we can do. That was good. Fired them up a little bit. Put a little fire under their butts and showed we're the best at this. And we'll show you why we're the best at this. Didn't age out. Go get HBO Max. Watch it. Find it on YouTube. Awesome, man. Best show of the summer in sports. 
Yeah, sorry, the captain. I really enjoyed Hard Knocks. Jets fans, I held off on you for a second. See? See, you thought, Jet fan, you were going to escape because the Giants camp has been so boring. Buffalo has been such a love fest. There had to be somebody who made a stir during camp, right? I told you, Jet fan, you were the team I was most interested about heading into this year's training camp, and it's not for the reason that just happened. We got to discuss the six foot eight, let's call him 390 pound offensive tackle, former first round draft pick, Makai Becton. Gets rolled up on, knee injury, out for the season. Becton was out for the season in September of 2021. Played about 15 games his rookie year. Could have been better. Not a lot of people watch offensive tackle play, but if you're not a standout, it stands out a little bit more, pun intended there. And now year three, you get hurt again. That injury, by the way, uh, is this fracture that if your muscle is so strong, it actually rips the bone off. Now, how do I know that? I asked my wife what this fracture was. And as a physical therapist, she described it. She also said in her PT advice, he is not going to be able to bend his leg for two months. That's a six foot eight, 390 pound guy not being able to bend his leg for two months. So Jet fan, how does it affect the season? What does it mean for the future? Well, You've tried to make the team better by going offensive line and protecting your future, even though Becton was a year ahead drafted of Zach Wilson of what it could potentially be. The problem with Makai Becton, though, is we don't know how good he is. Like, it would be easy. Let's flip it over to Tampa, right? Let uh, Ryan Jensen, the center, gets injured. And I know they bounced around with a few centers. Marpet got in there. My boy shot to Hobart. Played center for a season with Jameis Winston. But... Jensen getting hurt is a huge impact because we know how good Jensen is. Tristan Wirfs went down for Tampa, and that's another huge loss, but it's not as bad as Jensen. When you really don't have a baseline to project how good the offensive line play can be and how many sacks they could give up, how many runs are behind him, it's harder to figure out the true win-loss. God, this would be where baseball would talk about war, right? And we'd hit the war pig music that LeVac and I used to do that we don't have the rights for that music anymore for. And talk about how important an offensive tackle is. It's not making the team better. Like, let's not get it twisted. They're not better without Makai Becton. But did it cost them a playoff spot? Uh, Did you think they were a playoff team? Did it cost them the division championship? Do you think the Jets are better than Buffalo? Did it hurt the future projections of what the roster is going to be? Yes. There we go. We got a yes here. How does Joe Douglas in this Jet franchise handle what they're going to build with going forward because if he sucks, he sucks. Like if he's on the field and getting his ass kicked, there's a clip we used on CBS Six Sports of him getting blown up by Denzel Perryman for the Chargers. If he's getting put on his butt every single play, then you could look at it and say, okay, he's done. If he was like Eric Flowers was for the New York Giants and just getting beaten, constantly called for holdings, then we get it. But we still don't know about Mackay Becton. The easiest thing to compare Becton to is like an NBA player. Is he Joel Embiid, Zion Williamson, where they constantly were hurt in the beginning of their career, where they still got huge contracts? Or do the Jets look at Mackay Becton like Greg Oden, who suffered an injury but didn't rehab the right way and came back, was drinking too much, and was never the same player again, and some of that's to his own fault off the court? The Jets will definitely have to make a decision about what they believe is the future of Mackay Becton and how they build that roster. But it sucks because you never got the opportunity to find out how good he could have been. And there might be some plays this season where it's a young backfield there with Brees Hall and Michael Carter. He could have ran behind a big dude on the goal line and thought, if we had Becton, man, if you just put your hand on your back and watch the big dude move a car, legit move a car. 
that would only work in favor of the Jets. Jet fan, I want to tell you to get disappointed. The season's over. All that other stuff. You already are an interesting fan base, to say the least. I'm rooting for you, though. I want the Jets to do well. I find them as an entertaining franchise. You've got a tough matchup week one, though, with Baltimore. Don't be surprised if Baltimore is one of the most used teams in Survivor Bowls in week one. Jet fan, we'll talk more about your future in 2022 coming up in our NFL preview show. But bad news, and more importantly, tougher news for the future. I'm going to leave that in. Cheers. Yeah, there's a nice beer picture. Before we talk about fight sports, the WWE, let's tell you about more of our wonderful people that make this show possible, like our friends over at Mohawk Honda. Cannot wait to get back. It has been so long. We have not done a Godzilla media show for Mohawk Honda since April. We flipped around our show in May to hang out with our friends over at Mohawk Chevy. Now we're going to be back September 15th. Levac's going to kill me because he told me the date the other day. September 15th is that Thursday where we'll be live for Mohawk Honda. 4.30 to 6, talking and all that good stuff. But wherever you are, Syracuse, Utica, Rochester, Geneva, Penn Yen, telling you it is worth the trip to Glenville, New York to see Mohawk Honda. Don't live too far by. If you make the trip out to Glenville, New York, and you want to get a vehicle, you and I can go get lunch. That's what I'll do for you because that's how much I trust the people at Mohawk Honda. I'll drive over and pick you up for lunch in the 2022 Pilot EXL that's sitting in my driveway. How do I afford it? How did that even happen? Well, the good people at Mohawk Honda, they found the price that worked for me. Talking about trading in your vehicle, getting money in your pocket and more. I'm telling you, I don't tell this story that often, but I got a check too for trading in my vehicle. And I called Cam again immediately like, are you sure this is right? Yep, that's right. Have that moment where you can trade in your vehicle, question if the price is right. You can have the buzzer. Drew Carey can let you use it and drive away with a new vehicle. Shout out to everybody at Mohawk Honda where they always go out of their way to please you. And our friends over at Lily and David Fine Jewelers, located at Route 50 in the shops of Wilton. If you're making that road trip up to Saratoga, make it a part of your road trip. Check out Lily and David Fine Jewelers. You've been hearing them all summer and spring long and a little bit into the winter, too. About Goss's engagement spot where he bought the engagement ring, went back and bought the wedding band. Now I get to share stories from people. Shout out to Josh, the big Mets fan, and Jeremiah, our friend up in Saratoga. All the other great people have been willing to share their stories and after the surprise, of course, of hopping the engagement question and at least working with Alyssa and David and the crew for whatever it might be, anniversaries, birthdays, holidays, finding something special for her, girlfriend, fiance, wife, whatever it is, that wide selection of jewelry can help for you. See, I smiled right there because I'm like, man, still intimidating, still might not quite sure what, knowing what you're doing. It's okay. Work with the family owned and operated business that will help you find exactly what fits her style and fashion and more. Lily and David Fine Jewelers. Check out on Facebook as well. Lily and David Fine Jewelers. Alyssa, David, Tammy, everybody over there. Shout out to all the good people that are making things happen. Lily and David Fine Jewelers. When you stop in, tell me you heard about Gaza's story from right here. Gaza on the go. Gaza La Media. All that good stuff. All right, let's start off with AEW. I'm going to start with All Elite Wrestling on this because I feel like I'm the minority on this take that connects to the WWE. We'll get to that to close out the podcast. But... Uh, Quake by the Lake, a little spoiler coming off here. CM Punk returns the former AEW world champion. We're current or never lost it. Should I ask my guy under the mask there? Okay. A little bit dying. Quote die. Sorry. Uh, CM Punk is back. Pretty cool. So CM Punk is back. Kenny Omega is likely to be back. And as great as it is that he gets involved in that match with Jericho and Mox. Man, those guys just love to bleed. Those guys just bleed in everywhere. Uh, having that come back, it feels a little 
WWE-ish. Didn't say it didn't feel cool because definitely felt cool. Crowd was into it. Awesome to see him back. Uh, just felt a little bit less AEW and more WWE. I'm kind of knowing this vibe I'm going here. I guess let's just come out and say it. Don't we all just wait for MJF's return? Like Kenny Omega coming back when he finally does because he's been all over AEW. He's been the face of AEW, if you want to say that. The the difference, the best guy who's now, it used to be Sting. The best guy who's never wrestled really for WWE. I know he's got a developmental deal that the internet sleuths can find. But truly, he's the best. I look back at the MJF stuff, dude, and like it was supposed to be the summer of MJF. You can go back and listen to one of our podcasts in May, June, April. I don't even know. Like, I don't, this would be where some podcast hosts would go back and just like, look it up. Like, okay, who's the 2021 hard knock team? When did MJF drop the pipe bomb? I don't even want to look it up because it proves the point even more so that that moment where he's screaming at Tony Khan and calling him an effing Mark. I don't even want to, I don't even want to swear because I wouldn't do MJF justice there. It was awesome. But a quick comparison was to who we just mentioned, CM Punk. The summer of punk and that the biggest criticism of that storyline is that they should have kept him off TV to make it feel more real. But he was back, what, within a week? Like the next Raw might have even been that Raw when they closed out the tournament with Cena and Mysterio. Now they decided, all eat wrestling, to go the opposite way and let MJF cool off and maybe use the internet reporters to troll fans to make it seem more real because they've done that before where... I don't want to call it Sean Ross Sapp. I like him. But like an example would be like a reporter saying there's real beef between AEW and MJF would make the storyline feel real and the smart marks, the smart wrestling fans would eat it up. Great. I, I don't know what I want to do with MJF anymore. Obviously, I want him to come back as soon as possible. Could he have come back with Wardlow? Yeah, that would have been awesome. Could he have come back last night? Well, him and Punk together would have been a lot at once. Honestly, truly. Do you even want him to come back? Like, what what's the comeback payoff? What does he say? Tony paid me. Then he just move on. Doesn't he feel like he's better in the WWE? Wouldn't it be a cooler moment for him in his career to actually make the leap and go to the WWE? Because that's what the storyline is pressing for. This is what the storyline's been. What he's gonna say in January 2026. Okay, that's lame. What is the box that MJF sent? We can figure out the the other stuff's easy. Like CM Punk can challenge Mox, which is going to be a great match. CM Punk can go challenge a young kid and put him over, which he did it for the MJF. Like, we get where Punk can go. We get where Kenny Omega can go. Hell, we could see Kenny Omega versus Wardlow. That'd be kind of cool. We could see Kenny Omega versus Claudio Castagnoli. Yeah, how's that accent feel right there? I'm cool with those matches. Like, they would go crazy for internet wrestling fans. They would love it to see Omega. Those guys have options, Omega and Punk. But what are they legit going to do with MJF? You going to challenge for the title? Is he going to win the title? So you're going to have a guy who doesn't want to be there to win the title like they just did with Punk? Uh, it's fizzed out. It's one of those things where you felt like it was a cool idea. It didn't work. I don't know what's going to happen with MJF. I don't know how to do it. I want to get, I'm at a loss for words on this one. This is why I'm so glad I don't book wrestling shows. This is why I'm so glad I'm just a fan. I can fully admit that if I booked wrestling shows, Mary had like WWE 2K and it was Raw versus War. They had all different names for the wrestling games. There, Whatever the first year was when they gave the GM mode, every week for me was a steel cage match. 
every week. I couldn't do it. I did not have the patience. I want to go full board every single time. So, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with MJF. It was cool that Punk came back. All that stuff still looks good for AEW. I know there's the talk about the Warner contract and the buyouts and Discovery Channel, the app. All that. that is such a business thing, and I feel like it's so far away that I'll leave that to other people. And it's just gossip and rumors and WWE people who don't like AEW want to talk about that more. But AEW's real thing is still for me. What the hell's going on with MJF? Triple H in the WWE. I'm not a Triple H fan. I will say it every single time we do it. I think probably this one should be the one I retired on. But, yo, that Raw was awesome. Like, just the small things that make me intrigued. I always talk about the biggest thing you can do as a professional wrestling show is to bring in people who may not be wrestling fans and make them care about what they're watching. That should go for any product, for sports, for comedy, for what. If you can make the casual person care about what they're watching for whatever reason they're watching it for, that is the biggest compliment. And they do that with the car accident in the background for the interviews. The Dexter Loomis thing. I shouldn't even give it away because it was so cool. Like having the distraction, the crowd stuff. You don't know exactly what's happening. All that stuff. I get it. Triple H was good. Stuff made sense. Excited for the future. Blah, blah, blah. Kissing up the Triple H. But here's the take I want to make sure I stand alone on here. And by stand alone, I mean no one said it yet. So. Mark this, put it somewhere. Brian, Katie, and JJ from White Heat take this for me. My guy Greg and Utica, uh, all the other big wrestling fans, Trev and Rigney. This is especially for you guys here on this one. Let's talk about Cody Rhodes for a second. Are you concerned about Cody Rhodes now in the WWE? Because everybody's kissing up the Triple H and everybody's coming back. Dakota Kai and Johnny Gargano's rumored to come back. All the Karrion Cross, which was sick, by the way, on SmackDown. It was an awesome debut. Shouldn't we be talking about Cody? Because let's not forget the history, right? Like Triple H is one of the big guys who was behind the Stardust character. Triple H put Cody Rhodes in Stardust. And I look, Vince McMahon, I'm sure, is behind it. But the story goes that like he, Cody, talked to Hunter and said, I want out, I want out. They said, no, we're good. We don't see you as that, blah, 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 blah. It never happened. And it's the same Cody Rhodes who took the sledgehammer to the Triple H King of Kings thing. What do you call it? The throne at AEW? It's the same Triple H who called AEW a pissant company. Now, we could look at it this way. It's so easy to say they should have Triple H versus Cody Rhodes at a WrestleMania match. Well, why? Like, why would you want to have what some people still consider to be the face of AEW? And I just talked about Omega and MJF and Wardlow, but... I'm telling you, when I think about AEW, Cody is still the guy I think about. Young Bucks, I get, look, Cody is who I think about. Maybe it's going to stop. Maybe that's going to end at the end of the month. But I would love to see Cody Rhodes have that story of winning the championship. The championship is dead. Never won. Have the WrestleMania moment. Be the biggest face, the biggest good guy in the company. But I don't know if that's the road anymore. Because that felt like Vince McMahon's road. And they were setting up Cody Rhodes to have that road, pun intended. Roman Reigns has not lost. And Roman Reigns is going up against Drew McIntyre at the Clash at the Castle. I thought that would be the moment for McIntyre. But they are not building up McIntyre to be the guy who can take out Roman quite yet. So who the hell is it ever going to be? So The Rock's going to not be the one who loses to Roman? Because it seems like The Rock would not even want to lose to Roman, his cousin. Because he wants to put him into a whole different category so who's going to beat roman roman hasn't been pinned in like two and a half years 
But Roman's a bad guy. So it would make sense if the biggest good guy in the company would be the one who finally takes down the bad guy and have the moment. But does Triple H think it's Cody? Oh, man. How much this could crash down and burn. Because let's put ourselves in Triple H's shoes, okay? You had somebody who dissed your company. Somebody who wanted to take you out. Somebody who talks smack about it. Somebody who is not the guy that you picked to be the next spot in the company that you look at. And if Cody Rhodes wins, are people thinking about AEW? If you're putting a former AEW star in the main event of the WWE, do you consider him in that company almost putting them over instead? Like, look how good they did. Wouldn't you want to destroy your competition? Wouldn't some people look at it and say, the less of a role they have, the worse it looks for that company that, oh, those guys can't hack it in the WWE. I know Cody's role is a little bit different, but you know if it was somebody else but Cody, they could potentially do that. I'll keep that theory out there. I am very interested of why people aren't freaking out about Cody Rhodes' future in the WWE. He signed a multiple-year contract. I know he's got all this. He signed it with Vince. You just heard a sports podcast. The coaching's changes have come. If you're a college recruit, the guy who recruited you isn't there at the school anymore. I'm fascinated by it. I cannot believe more people haven't talked about that. You heard it right here. First, guys on the go. All right, guys on the go for the week. Hope you appreciate it. Hope you enjoy it. Talk to you again next week.